0: to the news on RTHK. An
1: international station for an international city. This is
0: Radio 3.
2: Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Friday, the 6th of May, just ahead of a long weekend. I'm Peter Lewis with the business and finance headlines on Money Talk on Radio 3. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority has raised local interest rates by the most since 2000, mirroring a similar move on Thursday from the US Federal Reserve. The city's base lending rate rose by 50 basis points to 1.25%, effective immediately. HSBC and Standard Chartered announced that they were keeping their best lending rates unchanged. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said the Fed rate rises will create a more challenging external environment for Hong Kong. Retail sales in Hong Kong slumped for a second month in March as consumption sentiment stayed low amid the fifth wave of Covid infections. Provisional government statistics showed that the total value of retail sales in March fell 13.8 percent year on year following a 14.6% fall in February. The Bank of England has raised interest rates to the highest level since 2009 and warned the UK economy will slide into recession this year. The UK central bank raised interest rates from three quarters of a percent to one percent to combat inflation, which reached a 30-year high of 7% in March. The BOE predicted the economy would contract one percent in the fourth quarter of this year as inflation jumps above 10%. And activity in China's services industry fell more than expected in April, to the lowest level since March 2020. The Kaixin Market PMI Services Index, which measures activity amongst smaller private companies, fell to 362 in April, from 42 in March. Economists had been expecting a reading of 40 on today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris, Duke at Hong Kong Asset Management, and Martin Henniker from St. James's Place, Wealth Management. With a view from India, is Toby Lawson of Societe Generale, India.
0: Money Talk
3: on
4: RTHK
2: Radio 3. US stocks slumped on Thursday, completely erasing a sharp rally in the previous session. The Nasdaq Composite Index tumbled 5% to 12,318 in the biggest intraday drop since September 2020. The Dow shed 1,063 points to close at 32,998 in its largest fall in two years, just one day after posting its biggest single day rise in two years. The SP 500 slid 3.6% to 4,147 with every sector and 95% of the constituent stocks in the red. Consumer discretionary and technology companies were among the biggest fallers as investors weighed up the impact of fast-rising interest rates. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index dropped 0.7%. London's FTSE 100 rose 0.1%. Mainland China's markets reopened after the Labour Day holiday and continued where they left off from Friday. Chinese markets soared at the end of last week after China's Communist Party's decision-making body said it would take action to safeguard the world's second-largest economy from further widespread coronavirus shutdowns. Yesterday, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.7% to 3,068, adding to last Friday's 2.4% surge. However, the tech-heavy Chinex slipped 1.3% after having been down as much as 3.3%. That was dragged lower by heavyweight lithium battery giant CATL, which closed over 80% lower after reporting a 41% drop in first quarter profits. Chinese surveillance company, uh, camera company Hikvision dropped 10% to limit down on the Shanghai tech-heavy Star Market Board. The Financial Times is reporting that the US is moving towards imposing hard-hitting sanctions on Hikvision. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gave up gains of 2% to close 76 points or 0.4% lower at 20,793. The Hang Seng Tech Index fell 0.1%, shrugging off news that US regulators have added over 80 firms a list of companies that face possible delistings from U.S. exchanges because of Beijing's refusal to allow access to the business's financial audits. The companies include JD.com, Pindodo, Bilibili, Netease, and Neo. In the commodities market, Brent crude oil up 0.7% at $111.06 a barrel. Gold has slipped $4 to $1,877 an ounce. The U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield jumped 9 basis points higher to 3.04%. And the U.S. dollar index is 1% higher. The euro is trading at $1.05.5, bucks at 130.3 Japanese yen. Sterling slumped more than 2% against the dollar to $1.23.5. That's its weakest level since June 2020 after the Bank of England warned the UK would fall into recession this year and against the local currency. It's trading at nine dollars and seventy cents. Chinese Yuan is at six point six nine versus the dollar in offshore markets. And Bitcoin fell over eight percent in the past 24 hours to thirty six thousand five hundred. All of the Asia Pacific markets are open and trading normally this morning. In Australia, the SX200 is down 1.7%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is off 1%. The Cosby in South Korea has fallen 1.4%. And it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open 500 points lower at the open this morning. So nine and a half, let's welcome our guests. We have over in our Queensway studio, Martin Henneker, head of Asia investment advisory and communications at St. James's Place Wealth Management. Morning, Martin. Good morning. And over in London, uh, where I work out, it's about one o'clock in the morning. We have Andrew Ferris, chief strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. Thank you for rushing back from the discotheque early, Andrew, to talk to us.
3: The things I do to be on RTHK, the things I do.
2: It's very welcomed. Okay, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority has raised local interest rates by the most since 2000, mirroring uh, the move by the Fed. They rose by 50 basis points to one and a quarter percent. The U.S. federal funds rate is projected to reach three and three quarters percent by the end of 2023 which will likely push Hong Kong's base rate to 4% over the same time. And for following the announcement, HSBC and Standard Chartered, though, announced that they were keeping their best lending rates unchanged. And Financial Secretary Paul Chan said the rate rises will create a more challenging environment, external environment, for um, Hong Kong. Uh, Martin, can Hong Kong's weakened economy withstand these higher interest
4: rates? Well, they are two questions here that we could perhaps separate. One is the economy and one is investment markets and for us we are mostly concerned with investment markets and advising how people should be positioned. But let me start by saying I do think there should be concern you know about interest rates and for anyone who is highly leveraged in the market uh, one should be very careful and I suggest to look at deleveraging and I share those concerns that were voiced about homeowners as well I consider mortgages to be uh, leveraged. Uh, as well. So it's high time for someone to be all in Hong Kong property, all leveraged to deleverage, diversify. That goes for leverage and other investments as well, fixed interest equities and so on. It's it's a good time to be cautious. I think with all that's going on uh, across the world, volatility might increase as well. So one should be mindful about time frame risk tolerance and leverage as mentioned but having said that and what we have discussed also in the last few shows when you invited me is that inflationary risk as well are a main risk to not investing too um, with still massive negative real interest rates even after the hike that we have seen in the us we are at one percent in interest rate and cpi in the us is 8.5 ppi 11.2 which is leading index commodity prices soaring Um, And I doubt that given economic weak patches um, and also high debt levels, that the Fed could actually be hiking rates to anywhere close to uh, actual inflation, at least in the uh, near future. Last time inflation levels in the US were around this level, interest rates stood at 15% actually. Mm -hmm.
2: Andrew, what, what's your thoughts? What's the impact of this, not just uh, yesterday's rise, but also the prospect of several future ones, on the Hong Kong economy? Well, I'll
1: I'll
3: I'll start with a parallel. Uh, sorry, is there an echo in the line?
2: Uh, there is a little is bit of an echo, but carry on. And if it gets okay, too I'll do, bad, I'll, I'll, do the, I'll
3: do my best. Yes, uh, I've been in the markets for fifty-five years. And I'm always stunned by the fact that a well a sort of uh, forecast message that the Fed is going to increase catches the market in inverted commas almost unaware. Hello? Mm. <laughs> why are they selling off the day after the Fed increase? So in, the same thing goes, of course, as far as Hong Kong interest rates is concerned. We know that if the Fed increases, we, we increase. And this has been going on for six months now. So messages about uh, mortgages are going to go up and, uh, you know, your credit card is going to cost more. OK, it's completely uh, o- already, already forecast. Mm. So will it have an impact? Yeah, but expectational impact. It should be zero effectively.
2: Yeah. And, and the local banks, they've kept uh, their best lending rates unchanged. So presumably uh, that's a good sign and means there's still a lot of liquidity in Hong Kong.
3: Well, actually, to, 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 to be a little bit mechanical and technical, there were periods in which the Hong Kong Monetary Authority did not increase completely in lockstep. So if they don't increase in lockstep, there is absolutely no reason why the banks... The banks can keep their interest rates anywhere they want. It is as the high increases because the Hong Kong Monetary Authority has actually increased, then at one particular stage, the banks, because they fund a lot of their loans out of the interbank market, they will have to do it. Or equivalently, they will need to increase interest rates on deposits in order to fund their loans. And that will increase interest rates. But not at a lockstep, no. This is perfectly normal and perfectly okay. It can be actually several weeks before anything happens.
2: Okay. Martin, what's the impact for the Hong Kong dollar?
4: Well, um, again... You know we are looking at it from an investor's perspective. So you have got property I just covered to be cautious, to be diversified. Property, of course, is an inflation-proof uh, asset which is not a bad thing, but one shouldn't be overly aggressive and leverage, as mentioned. Then you have Hong Kong equities, Hong Kong dollar, Hong Kong bonds, right? Hmm. Then we cover Hong Kong equities relative to property. When you look at valuations and equities, compared with global. Markets. We are actually seeing some of the most discounted opportunities across the whole world. They're now with valuations, uh, given what has happened in China before. So I think there are actually fantastic opportunities, not least as we see a lot of international investors either close to capitulating or some haven't capitulated already. So you'll be a
2: buyer even in this quite difficult environments at the moment with inflation uh, soaring around the world, central banks getting very aggressive. You, you think you will, this is a time to be buying, certainly, Chinese equities, Hong Kong equities?
4: Well, as part of a diversified portfolio, I think absolutely one shouldn't look at excluding China, uh, which includes Hong Kong, m- most of which is actually Chinese-related companies listed here. Japan, I think, another market where people are close to or, or capitulating, given the yen crash. You know, On the Big Mac index, the yen is actually 50% undervalued, and Mm -hmm. then Asian currencies generally. So, also great opportunities there. Often, when investors are most pessimistic about a specific market, the greatest opportunities can arise. And one more thing you just said, despite the inflation, you are still a buyer. Well, I'd say actually because inflation, um, because companies that have an edge in the market generally over time. Uh, can pass on rising uh, input costs to their customers in the form of uh, higher prices, that chance for goods and services. Now, that doesn't always necessarily happen straight away or in a linear way, but over time, basically, uh, that's the principle. You see that um, equities actually tend to be relatively more inflation-proof than, say, um, uh, cash holdings.
2: Andrew, what are your thoughts on the local markets here in the in the current environment and also the Hong Kong dollar as well?
3: Well, the Hong Kong dollar is—it uh, will be between seventy-five and eighty-five—and it's going to be there for at least another five years, or at least till the RMB becomes uh, fully capital convertible. Okay, next. <laughs> so I'm—I'm I'm utterly unconcerned about the stability of the peg. Okay, mm-hmm. There is, there is no reason whatsoever, either market-wise or policy-wise, uh, to, to to be moved. Now, for the for the markets themselves, yeah, I'm not surprised. All this. It is collateral damage of what's happening in the United States, except once, let's not forget that neither Japan nor the European Union have still increased interest rates. And Japan won't increase interest rates, and the European Union won't increase interest rates till about the beginning of summer. They've told us that. There is no reason to, to disregard it. And as for the stock market, actually, right now, I've got... You know, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very much constrained for my, for my individual license. We're speaking about shares. I cannot speak about named shares, but sectors, yes. And the answer is, is defence. I'm, work I'm working furiously on uh, looking at the defence companies in Asia, the United States and Europe, because I'm afraid they are going to be doing very nicely in the next three to four years.
2: And that, that's all for the wrong reasons, isn't it?
3: Unfortunately, yes. I know you might say, my God, you've got blood on your hands. Well, you know, what can I do? Mm. And actually, Peter, there has been a very subtle change in the ESG sector, where, of course, defense were at the same uh, level as, uh, I don't know, trading in heroin. Okay, well, now it has been changing.
2: mm Martin, does what about the ESG sector? Does um, you know what's been happening in Ukraine? It, it sort of seems to have put countries' targets uh, for lowering carbon emissions on on the back burner, doesn't it, uh, at the moment? And if anything, they seem to be ramping up the uh, traditional sources of energy. What does that mean for the sector?
4: Well, I think you know a lot of people have sort of started to question a bit more than previously. Policies of general exclusions, uh, black and white exclusions, and ESG—you know, for example, with completely defunding any fossil fuel, we'll even say uh, natural gas, that is a lot cleaner burning, and this, you know, might to some extent have uh, contributed to price increases. Now, again, what I think, you know, investors should make of it, and you know, in the context of the big news of the rate increases, etc., I, I would come back to what I see on inflation, and we, and, and we just touched on Europe briefly. So in Europe, um, you see uh, producer prices that were announced earlier this week of 36.8%. Mm. <laughs> the ECB's supposed hawks are now talking about increasing interest rates in the eurozone to zero in July. <laughs> uh, the CPI in April is 75 If I look at 30-year German government bond yields, is 1.2%, just below 1.2%. So I th- still think with that happening, you know, some of these uh, implications from maybe some of the ESG policies as well, then, of course, you have the Russia-Ukraine crisis on top and everything that's going on. I still think that risk is underestimated today.
2: Mm. Uh, Andrew, let me get your thoughts on what the Fed um, did on, uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, as we know, they've raised interest rates by 50 basis points. Jerome Powell says there's going to be probably two more 50 basis point rate increases at the next two meetings, although he did rule out uh, a 75 basis point rise. Um, He seems quite confident that he can do all of this and engineer a soft landing for the economy. In other words, not put it into recession. The Bank of England, by contrast, seems to be admitting it can't do that. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, my thought is very, very straightforward. Actually, this is uh, Mickey Mouse Economics from a Mickey Mouse Economist. The CPI index right now in the in the United States is about eight and a half percent. The core the core CPI, which excludes food and fuel, okay, it's about six and a half percent. So obviously, the food and fuel contributes about two percent to the CPI of eight percent. Now, Mr. Powell, can you please tell me how increases in interest rates is going to bring this down? It won't. Mm. And then the 8% that has been flooded around, it has been caused by supply chains. Again, Mr. Powell, how an increasing interest rates are going to bring this down?
1: Mm. You so, know,
3: I think what the Fed is going to find, it is not that it's going to punish the economy. It is that it will carry on increasing interest rates and it will have effectively very little impact.
2: Well, isn't, isn't then what, what the Fed is really saying is that and it's, it's admitted in the press conference that it can't do anything about these soaring food and energy prices. So it seems yeah. then the only thing it can do is crash demand, which at the same well, time is going it's, to send the economy into recession. It's like
3: it? saying that, that my five-year-old is, is crying and yelling. The baby is crying even louder. So I'm going to beat up the baby on the expectation that time is going to happen with the five-year-old. Give me a break. I mean, it
2: doesn't make any sense at all, Martin, are you confident that the Fed can engineer a soft landing for the economy?
4: Well, they have two challenges on their hands. One is the economy, the other is debt. They never talk about debt no. because it's too scary. <laughs> they don't want to say, oh, actually, sorry, we can't increase rates a lot. Not Certainly yeah. not anywhere close to where it should be or was in the 1980s because debt is way too high. We would have had sovereign debt crisis on our hands immediately. You see it, though, in the ECB, You know very clearly, they talk about Italian-Greek bond yields being a problem. But it's really across the world. In Japan, you see it. That's why they're not hiking there, too, because... Uh, That is too high. That's one reason. So when central bankers sound confident, I don't think it means anything. They just have to put a confident face to it. But I think Mm. what's really happening is basically an involuntary chucks or maybe an expropriation of savers who are fitting the bill. Uh, Actually, they might get lucky with this because if you have massive negative real interest rates and the savers basically paying up for this, you know, that's a way to reduce debt in real terms. Maybe that's the only way they can escape this debt threat. Um, right. But for investors, they just need to be conscious that, you know, th- you know th- they are paying for it. And uh, therefore, you know, while you have all these massive risks in markets um, with interest rates, inflation, geopolitics and whatnot, you know, this risk in cash shouldn't be underestimated either.
2: Andrew, just very quickly, why why do you think the Fed ruled out a 75 basis points increase? If it's so determined uh, to get inflation under control, um, it says it needs to do it quickly. Um, Why rule out 75 basis points? Why not go for it?
3: I call call it it Arlo Luzwajaneg financial economics. You flesh your colossal biceps.
2: (laughs) Okay, I'll leave you to do that in private. Thank you very much. That's Andrew (laughs) Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. Martin Henniker, who's Head of Asia Investments Advisory and Communications at St. James's Place Wealth Management. The time's 8.24. This is Money Talk on Radio 3. On the phone now from Mumbai in India is Toby Lawson, CEO of Societe Generale India. Morning, Toby. Yeah,
1: good morning, Peter.
2: So among the central banks that have been busy... Uh, raising rates this week. There was a surprise, wasn't there, from the uh, from the Reserve Bank of India. It raised rates uh, in an out-of-cycle meeting uh, by 40 basis points, from 4% to 4.4%. Um, what has spooked the RBI?
1: Yeah, very much a surprise uh, from the RBI. Uh, there was an expectation that rates may rise in June, but uh, to, it was an out-of-cycle meeting. Uh, surprise to the market and you saw that there was sort of curve flattened heavily 65 basis points at the front and some 40 basis points at the 10-year level. The other aspect of the move was to increase the cash reserve ratio by 50 basis points which sucked another large amount of liquidity out of the market. So it was a pretty aggressive move and a response to the rising inflation that's not only in India and embedded but also around the world.
2: And, and in particular, the RBI seems to be very concerned about food and energy uh, inflation. Food accounts for quite a lot of the uh, the CPI basket, doesn't it, in India. So this is a big issue.
1: Yes, yeah, so the, 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 there's a sense that uh, prices at food level have intensified in the last few months, despite the uh, good conditions in agriculture um, these supply constraints are having an impact in the, in the throughput into consumer prices and as you mentioned of course energy and that's driven by the rise in commodity prices impacted uh, as well by the Ukraine uh, conflict so yeah lots of things turning um, but also I think it's, it's a measure of, of noting that emerging markets when the U.S. starts to raise rates need to respond uh, to avoid too much aggressive outflow of U.S. you know in terms of flow out of um, fX out of uh, a particular country into us so part of it is an adjustment that's necessary at some point anyway
2: and and how did markets in india react to all of this
1: so of course i mean as i mentioned you we know, have very sharp move in rates uh 55 basis points of the one year um some 40 basis points in the 10, so big flattening that continued about 10 to 15 basis points yesterday the stock market got Slammed initially uh, on the on the announcement two to, two to three percent did the rebound yesterday but of course overnight as you saw in the US markets fell off again so we expect to see local markets under pressure again today
2: and and how confident are you that the Fed can engineer a soft landing here because if it doesn't that's going to affect emerging markets like India, quite a lot isn't it? Jerome Powell seems to be confident that he can. Um, the Bank of England in its monetary policy meeting this week wasn't confident It it admitted it, the, the UK economy was going to fall into recession um, so has Jerome Powell got this right?
1: Well I think history would say that uh, it's very challenging uh, with inflation where it is, that the central bank tightening to fight inflation won't lead to recession. I think that's historically the premise and the bank of england are probably relying upon that premise more so than the fed mm. um but when you look at it uh, it's a real balancing act and the, the problem for the fed is if it was just inflation um they could manage but that inflation is driven by supply constraints on a COVID pandemic out of china plus a war in uh, europe uh, with russia and ukraine these complicated factors are out of their control so it's going to be very very challenging to get the balance right to avoid U.S. economy going into recession. Having said that, it's the U.S. economy which is the real engine of growth for the world right now. So the Fed are the ones to watch and everyone's going to pivot off the back of the Fed, I'd say.
2: Now, you've got a, uh, changing topics a bit, you've got a big IPO going on, haven't you, in India? In fact, the biggest um, ever life insurance core uh, is going to, raise, uh, it's going to raise about $2.7 billion, uh, valuing the company at about $80 billion. Just give us a sense for our listeners who may not be aware of this company, just how big it is, and also just how much it's woven into the whole social fabric of India.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. LIC is a large insurance company. is really a conglomeration of a lot of other insurance companies to become a seventy percent market share of all insurance in India. So it's a behemoth, and as you mentioned, three percent of the. Uh, of the value of the stock being listed still represents uh, 2 to $3 billion of value. Mm-hmm. The good news for investors uh, who've taken up this, and a lot of them are the retail investors who are policy policyholders, is that it's very well subscribed, at least uh, from what I can see in the news over the, the last two days. So an IPO that people want to have um, and will continue to be a base stock within the Indian uh, indices. And um, it's done pretty well despite all the volatility in the market around. So that's a good sign uh, and, uh, yeah, it really is a bellwether company in India.
2: And are foreign investors participating in the IPO?
1: Yes, they will. Uh, there's been a lot of outflows of foreign investment, some um, sort of $17 billion this year. Uh, but uh, and that's that's a function of you know, dollar movements um, and natural movement in the rate transition. But yeah, I would expect that they'll take an allocation, uh, of course, into LIC.
2: I'm just staggered by the the asset base of this company. It has over half a trillion dollars in assets. That's bigger than the GDP of several countries.
1: It owns a lot of <laughs> it owns a lot of Indian stocks. It owns a lot of everything. Uh, it's a significant uh, corporation. Uh, and as I mentioned a behemoth Um, and whilst actually in terms of financial performance in relative terms the other insurance companies are probably more profitable and more competitive but just the sheer scale of the asset base of this company suggests it's 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 a good investment.
2: Toby thank you very much indeed have a great weekend that's Toby Lawson the CEO of Societe General India let's take a look at final look at the markets for this week big big falls across Asian-Pacific markets this morning. Uh, In Australia, the ASX 200 down 2.2%. And the K225 in Japan is off 0.4%. The Cosby in South Korea down about 1.2%. Futures markets pointing to a loss of over 500 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. It's a long weekend in Hong Kong for the Buddha's birthday, so Money Talk will return on Tuesday... In the meantime, do enjoy the extended break. After the news, Janice Wong and Andrew Work have the COVID update and back chat for, uh, for you. The weather forecast mainly fine, hot during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be 30, around 30 degrees. Sunny intervals tomorrow, a few showers in the following couple of days. Temperature right now is 25 degrees, 78% relative humidity.
0: Times eight thirty-one and a half. and a half with the half-hour news. Here's Andrew Shrosky. Thank you, Peter. DAB lawmaker Holden Chow says he'll be attending today's campaign rally in Wan Chai to be held by the sole candidate for Sunday's chief executive election, John Lee. Mr. Chow is an election committee member who will be voting along with the rest of the 1500 member body to choose Hong Kong's next leader. He told RTHK that despite there being only one candidate to vote for, many committee members were satisfied with arrangements. I see that many people satisfy with the arrangement this time because, you know, yes, he is the only candidate, but what we care
2: is whether this person is able and has the qualities to
3: lead the city, which apparently we understand and we trust that he
2: has the ability to lead.
0: The Financial Secretary Paul Chan has warned that higher interest rates will increase the pressure on indebted homeowners and small to medium-sized businesses. Natalie Ching has details.
2: In a response to media after the U.S. Fed put up rates by half a percent, Mr. Chan said he expected U.S. rate hikes to continue, with a likely increase of 2.5 percentage points or more this year. Mr. Chan said Hong Kong rates would inevitably rise because of the local dollar's link to the greenback. However, he said stable financial and banking systems here provide a strong defense against risks. The financial chief said the U.S. move would put pressure on the global economic recovery and create a more challenging external environment for Hong Kong. Mr. Chan noted that individuals may see mortgage payments rise at a time of higher unemployment and pressure on incomes. And he said higher loan costs would put pressure on businesses already facing difficulties because of the impact of the pandemic.
0: Overseas, President Joe Biden, his name, Karine Jean-Pierre, is the next White House press secretary, the first black woman and the first openly LGBTQ person to take on the role. The current press secretary, Jen Psaki, who stands down at the end of next week, paid tribute to her successor at a press briefing.
4: I just want to take the opportunity to celebrate and congratulate my friend, my partner in truth, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the next White House press secretary. As you all know, she will be the first black woman, uh, the first out LGBTQ person to serve in this role. She will give a voice to so many and show so many what is truly possible when you work hard and dream big.
0: U.S. stocks fell sharply overnight with investors worried that the Federal Reserve's latest interest rate hike wouldn't be enough to tame inflation. The Dow fell 3% to 32,998. The S&P dropped more than 3.5% to 4,147. And the Nasdaq lost 5% to 12,318. Technology mega caps slumped with Alphabet, Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft, Meta platforms, Tesla and Amazon all sharply lower. The news from RTHK.
1: Good morning and welcome to COVID Update. I'm Janice Wong. On today's program, more expert analysis on the latest COVID situation. We'll also speak to a swimming coach to look at the reopening of pools yesterday. We'll first be hearing from Professor Malik Perez, the Chair of virology at the
0: University of Hong Kong. And in around 15 minutes time, we'll be joined by John Yu.